You ever think of that? You only have one life. And life is short. Yesterday, my wife and I celebrated our daughter's birthday, and she turned seven, seven years old. We got up in the morning, and we went down to the Summit Diner. You ever eat there? Chocolate chip pancakes for a seven-year-old. It doesn't get much better than that. After we finished, we walked to the toy store. And my wife and I were holding hands as we were walking along. It struck me and then her that it feels like seven days ago that we were going to the hospital when she was born. Life is short because time flies. And you feel that more and more as you get older. Isn't that right? When I think of that, it makes me want to make the most of every moment I have. Is there anyone else like that? When I recognize how fast it's going, I want, as we just sang, to live it well. And you know, I am not the only person who feels like that. Every single one of you in here, every one of you, and everyone you know has it in them to live a life that is worth something. Sometimes circumstances press it down and it makes it hard to connect with that drive because it feels like no matter how hard you try, it's one step forward and two steps back. But there's nothing that can take that deep desire away from us that we want to have a life that's lived well, a life of purpose, a life that matters for something bigger than just me. A life that brings a little bit of light into the darkness because the world is so dark. A life that actually counts for something good. Now, what I want to show you this morning is that the reason we feel like that is because that's how God has made us. And people who know Jesus and follow him and people who don't even believe in God, all people have this deep sense that they want to have a life that matters. And what I want to set before us is very simple. No matter how successful we are in every way, until we find the path that God himself has invited us along, we will always be restless and searching for that elusive life that seems to, to run off ahead of us. Until we meet Jesus, and he invites us to come with him, we will always still be striving for a life well-lived, but we will never find it. And that's true for people who you look at and say, yeah, they're a mess. And it's equally true for people who you would look at and say, they've got everything. Do you know that? Here's how I'm going to show it to you. We're going to look at three stories together. Two of them come from the Gospel of Luke. One of the books in the New Testament tells many stories of Jesus interacting with people. Two stories, both of which involve men who seem like they have everything, but are still looking for real life. And they have an encounter with Jesus. We're going to look at those two stories, and then I'm going to share a bit about me. Now, some of you know that I'm the new guy. Uh, and I'm very grateful for the reception that I've gotten from many of you who I've talked to. Thank you. You're so kind to me, and I appreciate that. Uh, if you're new here yourself, we're in the same place. But I'm going to share a bit of my story so you can see how God has brought me to the place where he brings every one of us, which is to the place where he asks us to follow him. Uh, and so I'm going to start with the first story in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is traveling from village to village, and he's becoming popular. 
He's gathering a crowd around him because there's something about him that's attractive in a very, very uh, strange way. People haven't seen anyone like this before. And so the crowds are building. Men and women are going along with him because he seems to possess something they want. And then in the 18th chapter of Luke, we're introduced to a man who appears to have everything. Uh, Do you know anyone who appears to have everything? So imagine that person, and as Jesus comes along, here's what we're going to see. Jesus is going to have an exchange with this man in which Jesus puts him at a crossroads and puts him in the place of having to decide whether he's going to go along with Jesus or continue on the road which he is on. And here's the thing. Even though it seems that he is entirely successful on the road he's on, he still doesn't have what he's looking for. He still hasn't found out how to live well. Here's how the story begins. It's in in the 18th chapter of Luke. A certain ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The man is introduced to us as a rich ruler. And those two words tell us that he has everything that he could possibly want. He is a ruler. This is a man who has achieved every professional goal that anyone could ever have. Imagine you uh, are returning to your high school reunion, and you're going to go back there. It's the 20-year reunion, and there's some people who are going to say, yeah, uh, I pick olives for a living. Um, I'm a fisherman, and you get to say, oh, I'm a ruler. (laughs) You you, want to go back then, right? I'm a ruler. I'm not a boss. I'm a ruler. This guy has achieved everything, and... He's rich, and that means he wants for absolutely nothing in the material world. He can possess anything he wants. Even though this is true, as Jesus and his crew moves along, this man comes to Jesus and he asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That might sound to us like he's asking, how do I get into heaven when I die? That's not really what he's asking. Life, the word that he asks for in Greek here is the word zoe. And that means a quality of existence that is transcendent when compared with ordinary living. He's looking for a live life. Do you know what I mean by that? Because all of us know what it's like to live but not really be alive. But you've had moments, haven't you, where there's an electricity in life that makes it so attractive and powerful and you want that. This man has come to Jesus and, and he said very simply, though I've got everything that anyone could ever want, Though I have all the power that any man could have and all the money that any man could ever have, there is still something that I lack and I see that you and your followers seem to have it. How do I get it? And this is an aside. It's a question for you. Have you ever seen that kind of thing in a follower of Christ? Some kind of life that's different than you want it. And some of you maybe even have had encounters yourself with Jesus. If you're not a Christian and you're here because you want to uh, see what this is all about, this may sound strange, but I know there are some in here who've had encounters with Jesus. And in those moments, life is real. Yes? This man has seen it and he wants it. And so he asks Jesus, what must I do? There's a conversation that ensues. Jesus begins to talk to him about the Ten Commandments. And everybody knows about those. You know what it says in the law, Jesus says. The way that God gave to Moses for true life. And Jesus unfolds what God had said to the ancestors they must do. And this man's response is, 
all of these things I've done since I was a kid. And that means not only is he wealthy and not only is he powerful, but he also has, he has achievements in the religious world and still he doesn't have the life that he's looking for. Now Jesus sees right to the heart of the matter with this man. He looks at him and he knows that if this man keeps walking on the road that he is on, his possessions will begin to possess him. His wealth and his power will corrode his soul so that he will go from darkness into deeper darkness. And Jesus looks right at him in the face and says, here's the one thing that you lack. All of your possessions, all of them, I want you to go home, gather them up, and sell them. Give all of the money to people who don't have enough, all of it. Divest yourself of everything, and then come follow me, and you will have the life that you seek. You see the challenge he's put before this man. It's a great challenge, isn't it? But I want you to hear this, and I know this from my own experience. Jesus loves this man more than he could ever imagine. And Jesus' call for, for this particular man to let go of everything he holds on to comes out of his deep love and care for this man. Jesus wants him to have real life, what he's looking for. Jesus wants that for all of us. He wants it for me and for all of your friends and family, for your neighbors. And in this moment, Jesus knows if this man doesn't let go of everything that he's currently holding on to, he will never have the life that he's looking for. And because he loves him and because he wants to be with him, he says to him, put it all down so that you can come with me. And now in this moment, this rich ruler is at a crossroads. He has to make a decision which way to go. Have you had a moment like that in life where you have to make that decision? It's like you can't go down both roads. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent into the undergrowth. Does some of you know that poem? I know that because when I was a boy, it was hanging in the bathroom at my house. <laughs> I'm serious. You're like, wow, he's a profound... No, no, every single time I went to the bathroom, I read it. <laughs> and I didn't realize until much later that I had committed it to memory. But the idea it puts out is beautiful. There's only one life that you have, one. And you cannot walk down two different roads and be one traveler. You can't. And sometimes you get the moment where you can stand and look down one road as far as you can to see where it bends into the undergrowth and think in that moment, which way am I going to go? And that's the place where Jesus has put this rich ruler. And there he is. And down one road he sees his wealth and his riches increasing in his power. And the other road he sees down there, he sees Jesus walking. And he has to decide which way to go. I'm not just telling stories about the Bible because I'm interested in the Bible, though I am, but because God himself comes to you. He does. To put you at a crossroads and say, where are you going to walk? I want you to look at what happens with this rich ruler. I want you to look up here at the text. In verse 23 of chapter 18, here's what happens. When he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. In that moment, the man stood at the crossroads and he decided to go in the direction that he had been going where he could continue to have his power and all of his money. 
He did not choose to go with Jesus. He didn't. Instead, he went on the way he had been going on. And God always gives us the freedom to continue on the roads we're going on. But whenever a man or a woman is met by Jesus and invited to come with him, and that person chooses not to, the outcome will always be exactly what happens here. You may continue to hold on to whatever you want to hold on to, but it will always be one footfall after another into sadness. That's how it goes. I know this from experience. I want to tell you a bit about me. I, I never thought I would be a pastor. I just never thought I would be. When I finished high school, I, it was time for me to decide what to do in college. And I went off to Rutgers and I studied physics. And the reason I studied physics is, to me, it sounded like the smartest thing that a person could study. That's seriously the reason why I chose that major. And then, when I had to choose a minor, this is what I did. I looked at the offerings at Rutgers, and the only other uh, degree that started with PH was philosophy, and so I was a philosophy minor. Does that sound ridiculous? Like, that's seriously weird. That's what I did. I got done with my uh, years of physics, and I went off and I did a few years of research at Brookhaven National Laboratories. I was living the life of a scientist. Wow, it was glamorous and glitzy. <laughs> I finished a college, and that summer I had some friends who invited me to go to a Christian music festival. Maybe some of you have heard of uh, Creation Music Festival. If not, imagine a Christian version of Woodstock. In St. David's, Pennsylvania, there's about 50,000 people who go for four days to this big farm in a valley, and they camp out there. And I decided to go. I was at the crossroads in my life of whether I would continue on in physics and go ahead to graduate school. And I went off that summer thinking I'll take one year after college before going to become a professional physicist. I could picture myself at my high school reunion. Oh, I'm a professional physicist. And <laughs> I actually thought that would be cool. Like, how weird is that? But that's where I was. There was a man who spoke at that festival. In addition to music, they had speakers. His name was Tony Campolo. And I wanted to go hear him because I'd heard he was funny and inspiring. And I stood that afternoon in a crowd of about 20,000 people with him off on the stage speaking. And he began like this, all of you here who call yourselves Christians, the question I have for you is if it suddenly became illegal to follow Jesus and you were arrested, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Someone just was like, hmm, that was me. You all say you're Christians, but your lives look exactly the same as everyone else except for a few little things that you don't do. But what about what you do with your life? You are going to finish college and then you're going to get a good uh, degree and you're going to go off to a graduate school where you can get a better degree and then you're going to earn enough money to send your kids off to a good college and so that they can get a good degree. And the cycle goes around, but you don't live any differently, he said. And in that moment, I felt like he was inside of my head. Have you ever felt like that? he told a story of a student of his named Brian. Brian was a young man who grew up in the rural south in poverty, where poverty really was a matter of racial, it was all around racial lines, no opportunity at all. Against all odds, Brian got into this university in Pennsylvania where Tony happened to be a teacher. And Brian was a good student. 
He excelled, in fact. After he graduated as an undergraduate, he didn't know what to do, so he went off to law school. That's a good choice, right? He went off to Harvard Law School. Have you ever heard of that place? At Harvard, Brian did so well that he finished at the top of his class. He was the best student in his graduation uh, class. As, as an African-American student, Brian, before he even walked, had offers from the biggest law firms in, in the entire country to, become, to start out as a partner. He had every opportunity for power, prestige, and wealth. Here was a young man who had a path before him that to everyone would look like the, the path of greatest imaginable success. Brian came to Tony's office after he graduated from Harvard and asked to meet with him, and he sat down across from Tony, and he explained the decision that he made. Tony, in, in our country, justice is for sale. If you have enough money, you can afford a lawyer who's as good as me. That's what Brian said. I'm that good. And that's why I got offers at all of the top law firms when I finished. But I want you to know that in your classes, I began to think about God and about what God has done for this world that we live in and about how God feels about injustice and poverty and lack of opportunity. And then instead of asking what I could do with my career, I started asking, what should I do? If I follow Jesus, what should I do? And Tony, I decided to turn down every one of those offers because I'm going back to the place where I grew up, where the people who live there cannot afford a lawyer as good as me, and I am going to work for them for free because that's what I think Jesus would want me to do. When I heard that, Standing in that field with all those people, I thought Jesus himself was saying to me in that moment, Christian, you should not go to graduate school. You should go do something for other people with your life. Have you ever had a moment like that where you feel like Jesus himself is speaking to you and telling you what to do? Ha have you? Give me some sign if you have. And maybe you haven't. But in that moment, it was like Jesus was saying to me, Christian, you must not keep going on the path you're going on. It was like he was saying to me, two roads, Christian, they diverge. This is it. This is why I had that poem in your bathroom all those years. <laughs> Tony said, a lot of you are going to be inspired when I speak, and you're going to want to come talk to me afterward, but I don't want to see a single one of you up here unless you are ready to do something about what you've heard me say this morning, unless you are ready to give up one year of your life. And then he gave us an opportunity. He said, I've started a school in Southwest Philly for kids who are kicked out of the public schools. If you'll give a year for free and come live in that dangerous neighborhood and disappoint your parents and say no to all of your plans and put yourself at risk day after day, then come talk to me. But otherwise, I want you to just leave. He was uh, an Italian fella. Just... <laughs> He said, we're going to pray. As I prayed, I'm telling you, it was like Jesus himself was saying, Christian, go talk to him. Go. And you know what I was doing? I was thinking about all that I would have to lose. I was standing at the crossroads and I was looking down that road and I saw professional physics degree, good career, lots of money, my parents happy. Everything going in the way that everyone had planned. And then down this other road, there was this risk and this danger. But Jesus was there. And I was, I was feeling so strongly. He was saying, go. We finished praying. And my friends who'd brought me, 
They grabbed a hold of me immediately and said, Christian, let's go. We'd heard that there's a swimming hole down the way, a place along the river where we can swim. Come on, we're going to go, uh, we're going to go jump in. It'll be great. And I looked at them and I said, you know, uh, I'll meet you. And they went and the crowd started to thin out. And I stood there watching all of those people who began to walk up to Tony. It was only about a dozen of them. And everybody else filtered out. And then, before long, I realized I'm now standing alone in a great big field like an idiot staring at the sky. <laughs> and as I stand there and watch, and I can't move because I'm thinking of everything I'd have to lose, he looks over the shoulders of the people who are facing him, and our eyes meet, and Jesus is saying to me, Christian, come down this road. And do you know, I turned away from him, and I started to walk toward the river. And every, every single step was sad. I just walked away because of everything I'd have to lose. And I felt sad and sadder as I got closer to the water. Now listen, that was me. I want you to look at yourself for a moment. It's why I tell you this story. For every one of us in our lives, Jesus himself will come to us and he'll invite us to go on a new road. Sometimes it will be a very big road like the one I've just described. And it is up to you whether you go or not. More often, it's a little tiny road that he's going to invite you down. Will you, at the beginning of this school year, be a student who is kind to the people around you or not? And there's a fork in the road and Jesus is going to invite you down one and it will cost you something to go with him. Will you operate in your career with integrity? And there's moments where surely you could get more business if just you'd go this road, but Jesus will say, no, I'm inviting you down this one. With your spouse, will you hold on to the anger or will you forgive them? This is an invitation from Jesus. Some of you will think, well, I don't know how to hear Jesus. I don't know what he's calling me to. Everyone in here, if they pause and think, even those who aren't sure what they believe yet about God, will be able to do this, to imagine if Jesus himself came to me and put me at a fork in the road right now in my life, on this September 4th, where would it be? You can think of that. And the question will be whether you will choose to go with him or not. And if you choose not to, it will be sad, no matter what you get to hold on to because you didn't go with him. I'm telling you this is true. And the opposite is true also. That is, if you do go with him, you will find happiness. And not in the shallow, trite way that it's for sale at every self-help counter in every Barnes & Noble, but in the true way. In the way that you and I want to have a life that we live well. In the way that that rich ruler asked Jesus, would you show me the way to have eternal life? If you go with him, you'll find it. Now look, I want to show you that I said there would be two guys that we'd look at in the Gospel of Luke. So back to the, the Gospel for a moment. In chapter 18, we meet this rich man who chooses not to go with Jesus. After that, and you can read this on your own, you should. After that, the disciples ask Jesus, how can a rich person come with you? And Jesus says, camel, eye of the needle. You know this? And then he says, but with God, all things are possible. Anyone, he says this to the disciples, anyone who leaves anything at all to come with me will find themselves in such a place that they've got a hundred times what they left. And he does not just mean you're going to cash in. Pastors abuse that passage to make it into some kind of calculator where God's a great big ATM machine. No. It means that you'll never regret letting go of anything if it means following Jesus. 
And after that, in the very next chapter of the gospel, after Luke 18 comes Luke 19, the first picture we meet is another scene where Jesus interacts with another man who happens also to be rich, and this man is also looking for real life just like the first guy was. Some of you might know the story of Zacchaeus. If you grew up in Sunday school, you're thinking, oh yes, the wee little man. <laughs> and if not, I hope you're laughing at us Sunday school people, because it's weird. We... It's the next story that Luke puts in front of his readers because he wants us to see that a rich person can choose to come along with Jesus. And that instead of going along sad with all of your riches, you could go along with joy with Jesus, even if it means letting go of all of your riches. And who knows what it will mean for you when Jesus comes to you. He does. And if your heart's open, you will too. But here's what happens with Zacchaeus. Jesus is coming into Jericho. The crowd is there again. Everybody wants to come and see him because everybody wants to live well. And they know that this man, Jesus, seems to have something. And Zacchaeus also wants to see Jesus. And he's short. And so he goes ahead and he climbs up a tree. And if you know the song, it's a sycamore tree, right? And he climbs up because he also wants to see what's it with this man. Because even though Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector, and is very rich. Even though he has all the money any man could ever want, he still hasn't found the way to live well. And he, and he sees Jesus and he thinks, maybe this guy has something. And I want you to imagine, there he is in the tree. Jesus comes along and Jesus himself sees Zacchaeus and he looks right at him and he says, Zacchaeus, and, and you might not know this, the word Zacchaeus, it, it, many names in Greek mean something. The word Zacchaeus means innocent. And if you know the story, Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector, which means he's made his money by cheating his own people out of their funds by threatening them with pain if they don't give. So he's not innocent, but that's what Jesus calls him because that's how Jesus works. He looks through all of our mess and sees the real person. And he says to him, come down. I want to come to your house today. And Zacchaeus knows where this is going. He knows if I'm a cheat, and a crook, and I'm wealthy because I built people out of their hard-earned money, and this man, Jesus, comes into my house, then Jesus is going to put me at a crossroads, and it's going to mean I have to let go of everything. Do you see I'm getting excited? <laughs> Jesus comes into Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus knows he's going to have to give up everything, and he does. He announces his own declaration right as Jesus comes in. I am going to give half of my money away to the poor. And if I've, if I've robbed anyone, I'm going to give back four times as much. He's ready to give everything. He's ready to go down the new road. And look at how Luke describes his reception of Jesus. This is in verse 6 of chapter 19. He hurried down and was happy to welcome him. Do you see the contrast there? Look, look again with me. We'll set them side by side at verse 23. And, and I, I, I have this up there like that because in my Bible, the two verses, when you close my Bible, they touch each other. The one from verse, chapter 18 and the one from chapter 19. We have a man who's wealthy and powerful and he decides not to go down this path because of everything he'll lose and he's sad. And then we have a man who's wealthy and he is powerful, but he decides to give up everything and he goes away happy with Jesus on that path. You have one life, and you want to live it well. You do. I know you do, even though I hardly know you. 
And that's because God made you to live it well. And at every step, every stage of your journey, the, the small ones and the very big ones too, God himself will be there if you will pause and wait and pay attention and he'll be there to invite you to go down a new path. And no matter what you have to leave to go with him, it will be better for you not to have it, no matter what it is. And now would you think, and I'm asking you to do this, would you think not of the other people around you who you think they should hear this? No, but you. And this goes for people who are not Christians yet. Maybe one of you in here doesn't believe. And now as I speak, God himself is coming and saying, hey, I'm actually, I put you here on this Labor Day to hear this. I want you to go down the path of trust. Would you do that? Oh, you'll have to lose a lot. Maybe you'll have to lose the respect that you had for yourself as, as this very bright agnostic. No, set that down. Come with me. Maybe that's you. Or maybe someone else, it's a big thing. Maybe there's a college student who, who's just now in their senior year from Renaissance Church off at college. They're tuning in and they're thinking, I want to stop going on the path toward graduate school. I'm going to do something different. It could be big like that for someone in here. Or it could be very small. Uh, stop isolating yourself. After worship uh, finishes at Renaissance, instead of hustling out, Jesus is saying, go talk to that person. Go greet someone. Let yourself be known a little bit. Be vulnerable. Or at work, there's someone who's in pain. And you know, Jesus is saying, just listen to them. Don't, you don't have to talk about me. Just listen to them in my name and see. Whatever it is that he is inviting you to do, do it. Whatever it is. Go with him. And I'm telling you this as a person who has in his background many examples of, of, of choosing not to go. That day that I told you about where I was standing there in that field and everybody hustled off and at the critical moment I chose not to go, I walked away so sad and I thought to myself, at least I'll get to go in the river with my friends and that will be fun. And you know what happened when I got to the river? I couldn't find them. And so here I was standing at a riverbank watching the water go by and I was feeling like the biggest failure ever. I was watching the water go by and I thought, that's my life. It's just going to steadily flow by and I'm just going to stand here watching it. I'm never going to have real life. And I stood there feeling sorry for myself for like 25 minutes. Is anyone else like good at that? Like feeling bad for yourself? I was like an expert. I was thinking of the poem. I decided, I, I guess I'll go back to camp and, and find my friends there. And so I turned away from the, the river and I started to walk. I walked through the woods, up a hill. I started to go down the hill and there were all the tents with everybody camping and I knew my sight was on the other side. I went down one hill and then started going up another and then I saw as the sun was setting behind the hill there, I saw a figure who started to walk up the path that I was walking on and he was coming toward me. I couldn't see who it was because the sun was behind him. Then, as we got close enough, it was Tony walking right toward me on the path that I was walking on. He looked right in my eyes as we stood face to face and I racked my brain for something clever and bright to say. And so this is what came out. I, I heard your talk. <laughs> he said, you did? 
He lifted his hand. Slapped me right in the face. He backhanded me and then forehanded me. Bam, bam. What are you going to do about it? You know, that was another moment where Jesus gave me another chance to stand at the road and see what I would do. And of course, I signed up for that year. I took the road less traveled by. It made all the difference. If I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be here. If Jesus hadn't met me in the slap of that Italian man's hand, I wouldn't be standing before you. And if I could, if I had the power to, what I would do right now is reach out and slap every one of you in the face twice. <laughs> and that would be a way to start, right? How was your, uh, your new pastor's first Sunday? He slapped us all. They fired him. <laughs> I would do it. I would do it for this reason. And I would. And I'm serious. I want to do this with my words. Because all of us in this room, all of us are so beloved by God in Christ, we cannot even imagine it. And wherever we've been, whatever road we've been on, what he wants more than anything is to come to us and invite us to come on the road with him. And no matter what, we would have to lay down to do it. No matter what. If it was our whole lives, it would be better for us to do so and come with him. And if we would do that, we would find the real life that all of us were made for, which we desperately know we haven't found yet. We want to live well. It's only in walking with him that we will. And so here's what we're going to do. The band is going to play a song in which we pray that God would enable us to lay our lives down. And if you have been walking with him and need to pray this again, do it. If you've never walked with him, pray this for the first time. So I'm going to ask you to pray briefly with me and then the musicians, the, the band is going to take us into this song. Would you do that? Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for the story of that rich ruler who was confronted by you and for the story of Zacchaeus who decided to go with you. I thank you that you've made it plain enough how we're invited, and I thank you that you have over and over again invited me and confronted me. I thank you that that Italian fellow slapped me in the face, that he brought me here, that you brought me here through that. I pray very simply that each person in here would, would feel your own uh, invitation and challenge to come and that many of us would follow you in a new way, that we would step out in faith in such a way that you would use us in this world. And we ask for that in the name of Jesus.